listen. You'd never think that they were capable of it, would you? They say please and thank you. They stop at the red light and go at the green. Oh, pardon me. You're welcome. Excuse me? You'd never think that they were capable of rioting. It's a mystery. Some would even say a murder mystery. Okay, okay. Nobody would say that. But that's how I'm used to solving things. And somehow, we've got to get to the bottom of how and why riots occur. So, sit down, not that chair, the other one, and let's begin. Suspect number one, the police. This perp has a history of inciting riots. Seattle, 1999, the 2014 Ferguson protests, Hong Kong, 2019, the list goes on. Why? Some say aggressive police tactics are to blame. Some suggest such tactics are caused by the organizational structure of the police, a lack of diverse recruitment, a high number of male officers, a notable number of narcissistic or paranoid personalities within the force, or due to the concept of forward panic in which Officers suddenly release the tension and fear built up from stress or a loss of control or signs of escalation within the crowd such as protesters gathering stones. And why do aggressive police tactics cause riots? Let's really understand this. Imagine you're at a protest, for that's where these things usually start. You're there, possibly with friends or family, because you're passionate about a cause. Then you hear it. The beating of batons against shields. The crowd around you shouting, crying out as you are shoved closer together. Cramped, trapped, you notice the officer's hand twitch towards the gun on his leg. White tendrils of putrid smoke curl around your feet. A cavalry charge, a warning shot, you can't breathe. Shoes, now, they're getting closer. Wouldn't you fight back? <laughs> I'm sorry, that was rather intense. But now you understand how techniques like kettling tear gas, the use of batons and other aggressive police tactics almost always result in escalated violence. But are the police always at fault? When the police use coercive indiscriminate force, almost always, in my opinion, yes. However, 
When the police use cooperative and communicative tactics, such as Sweden's dialogue policing, which involves conversation with protest organisers before and during the event about routes, restrictions and any actions of the police, or other tactics such as confrontation management, in which police are educated on de-escalation, self-regulation and emotional intelligence, riots can be avoided altogether. The success of such approaches is evidenced by the Euro 2000 study, where police who interacted with the crowd in a friendly, yet firm way, observed far less hostility than those who were more aggressive or didn't make an effort to interact with the crowd. Conflict between the crowd and the police is made worse by the media, who often portray the police as incompetent and violent, and, as some scholars contend, neglect to cover positive crime control. An additional factor is the growing numbers of citizen journalists, who are people who record and circulate videos and images as the event unfolds. An example of citizen journalism was in the 2009 G20 protests, in which mobile footage of a riot officer bludgeoning Ian Tomlinson, which ultimately caused his death, directly contradicted accounts of the incident given by both police and the media, and turned public opinion against the police. As news coverage and media consumption are the primary sources of people's perceptions of police legitimacy, and a crowd, according to the elaborated social identity model, will react as a group to a police force perceived as indiscriminate or illegitimate. Consequently, people go into protests already perceiving the police as hostile, which increases the likelihood of conflict. Lastly, it should be noted that culpability goes far beyond the individual policeman, the political structure of the government, and even the time, place and space of a protest – Napoleon created wide roads called anti-riot streets for this very reason – can all influence the measure of force utilised. What do you think? Guilty? What do I think? Oh, you are too sweet for asking. It's looking likely that it's the police, isn't it? But I think we need more clues. So, our next accused. The crowd itself. Now, this seems an obvious one, <laughs> but I've read my Agatha Christie and I know a red herring when I see it. Word on the street is, the crowd is a primitive, instinctual, de-individuated mass. I'm not going to give my sources. It's Gustave Le Bon. The crowd is a horde, where responsibility is replaced by anonymity, and people are reduced to overstimulated, mindless curs, suspect to any passing emotion via contagion. Even my guy, Durkheim, you might have heard of him, described being in a crowd as an altered state of consciousness, their ego slowly disintegrating and experiencing a sacred experience of self-loss and intoxication. These irrational and suggestible crowds are embodied by their leader, someone who is simply less deranged and nervous than the rest of the crowd. Through their sheer will and the use of simple visual repetitive slogans accessible to the mindless savages in the crowd, they persuade them. 
Freud, who is compatible with Le Bon's thinking via their shared belief in the unconscious crowd, depicted the crowd being led by a narcissistic, hypnotic leader, a kind of primal father to the barbaric throng, madly loved by those who he leads, who whips the crowd into epileptic frenzies with his spellbinding charisma and brutality. Due to the crowds being perceived, perhaps rightly, perhaps not, as irrational and suggestible by the police, this often leads to more aggressive public order policing, which therefore, as proven earlier, leads to riots. <sighs> right then, <laughs> I think that's that one solved. The crowd started the riot. So I'm going to go and put the kettle on. And ooh, it's fish and chips for dinner. Oh, social identity theory. Now this one is worth thinking about and puts crowds in a far better light. Social identity theory says that rather than losing their identity, individuals within a crowd instead shift from their personal identity to a social identity and thus adopt the beliefs and morals of the group. It's extremely important here to remember that a crowd is not one unitary body, but is made up of multiple groups. So far from being the easily persuadable mindless curs that Le Bon depicts, individuals in a crowd will only participate with those they see as sharing their values, and calls for violence will not be followed if the individual doesn't adhere to those values. What's more, through the concept of self-policing, a crowd will intervene with members of their own group who violate these values and morals. So perhaps the crowd isn't our guy after all. But have you ever heard the quote, treat me as so, and so I shall become it? No, that's because I just made it up. But it encapsulates, fancy word I know, that when the police treat the crowd members as all the same, via disciplinarian and indiscriminate force, they are inclined to see themselves as all the same. And even those who are acting legitimately now group together with the most nefarious and unlawful within the crowd for protection. So, in conclusion, we're not any closer. Perhaps we'd better look at our third and final suspect. Grievance. Now for this one, I'm going to tell you a story. 2001. Bradford is a city just west of Leeds, once internationally renowned for its textile industry. But following deindustrialization in the 20th century, it became encumbered with poverty, high unemployment rates, and the creation of segregated neighbourhoods following white flight. Racial discrimination in employment, the perceived indifference of Asian political elites, and the bias of local police against the Asian population, all led to Asian youths forming vigilante groups to protect their communities. Following the cancellation of the BNP rally, the Bradford Anti-Nazi League organised a counter-demonstration. 
By the time most of the crowd had dispersed, rumours spread of a racist attack on an Asian man, and Asian youths rushed back into the area. Shops were looted, petrol bombs thrown, and men were stabbed. 300 officers were injured, and damage was estimated at 7 million. I chose to tell you about the 2001 Bradford riots as it has all the elements of grievance that often lead to riots. Marginalisation, discrimination and segregation, mistrust of authorities, unemployment and political exclusion, media misrepresentation, vilification and an emotive incident to spark the tensions that have persisted for so long. Most, if not all, of these factors are present in the majority of all the types of riots. Prison riots, race riots, food riots. Grievance, it seems, is inextricable from riots. However, and let's cue the happy music now. However, a number of instances have materialised in which grievance you know what? It is too much. It's too much. Oh, it will have to do. Anyway, a number of instances have materialised in which grievance exists, as does a spark or a flashpoint to ignite the underlying tensions, yet no riot occurs. This was seen in a similar incident to the Bradford riots, when 34-year-old Gavin Clark was shot in Chapeltown. Leads. The most persuasive theories as to why no riot subsequently arose, despite the flashpoint of Gavin Clark's shooting and existing tensions between the Caribbean and Asian communities in Chapeltown, include strong community police relations and dialogue throughout the event via two community representatives, an aspect that failed in the Bradford riots as well as the absence of symbolic targets, such as retail stores, on the main street in Chapeltown. This calls into question how strong an effect a grievance really has on starting a riot. And on some occasions, a grievance may not exist at all. No, that's not audio of a Celtic battle from the British Museum archives, but I'll forgive you for thinking so. Spectator violence can be traced from 532 AD in Roman times, all the way to events such as the 1986 European Cup final, in which 39 people died, or the 1994 New York Rangers victory, which led to a riot 2,400 miles away. Excitement and the highly aroused emotional state of fans who have just triumphed, or even high temperatures, noise, crowding, foul odours and secondhand smoke can all escalate the probability of violence. Both of the crowd psychology theories discussed earlier, the individuation and social identity theory, are also engaged here, as the sense of anonymity within a crowd gives fans a feeling of invincibility, and therefore makes them engage in violence, 
and the sense of belonging to a group can result in the fans of opposing teams with long-standing conflicts to arrive at the stadium ready to brawl. So, now's the time to decide. Who is guilty? Which suspect causes riots? The police? Perhaps the crowd? Or maybe grievance? You know, I think I've got it. The culprit is, and let's have a drum roll, please. It's none of them. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a bit of an anticlimax, but here's my reasoning. Or really, Martin Luther King Jr.'s. He said, a riot is the language of the unheard. Because the truth is, it should never get to the stage where the crowd and the police are facing off. And unfortunately, we live in a world with many grievances. Inequality, poverty and discrimination are in almost every country in the world. And many of these instances do not result in riots. A grievance alone is not enough. It is when people have been ignored for so long by authorities and the government that they protest as a way of publicly making their opinions heard. It is when they have been oppressed, neglected and victimised for so long that some of them are angry and frustrated enough to resort to violence. And because of this, the people have to become extra-institutional by expressing their grievances outside of the normal political process and self-organising rather than being formally organised through political groups, for example, thus disrupting the state's monopoly on violence. Therefore, due to the state's historical fear of mob rule, the police are deployed. And the crowd have a right to express dissatisfaction, yet the police have a duty to maintain public order they are automatically in conflict in this situation. As I said before, it should never get to the stage where the crowd and the police are facing off. You know, this is really making me reevaluate my whole job because perhaps riots are good. They draw attention to important issues undermine the status quo and serve as an extra institutional check on the power of the elites. But they also cause property damage, injuries, even death. Oh, I don't know. The fact is, we've solved the case. Riots, according to this detective, are caused by people being neglected and oppressed for far, far too long. And if you want to get fancy about it, rather than a flashpoint, I would argue for a boiling point. This is because, although flashpoint theory does cover contextual and situational circumstances, it places far too great an emphasis on the moment. As Silvia Ducevici said, rioting is a process that starts way before people hit the streets. So, thank you. 
I couldn't have done it without you. Actually, I've just realized you didn't say a word this whole time. Who even are you? Get out of my office! And don't let the door hit you on your way out.